Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is the CEO and founder of Read 5 Group, and he's a lifelong learner, just like myself, so I'm excited to always have lifelong learners on my podcast. He's held several leadership positions in media companies. He has built out marketing and sales infrastructures, and he has worked with startup companies and He challenges us to always rethink. He's the host of Take 5, the Rethink Marketing Podcast. So we're going to get some opportunities to maybe rethink leadership today. His sales and marketing leadership and marketing strategies are applied to help his clients. His core beliefs go way beyond his expertise in sales and marketing and are best described by his passion for and belief in people. I quote him, it's not about being perfect. It's about being present every day. And that certainly is a great way to describe leadership, to be present every day and focus on our people. So please welcome Eric Reed. How are you doing, Eric? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. I'm excited to talk to you and I appreciate the introduction. I love the, I love the fact that you pulled out that quote. So uh, appreciate that. Well, let, you know, let's start with that because I often talk to leaders about this you know, there's really no such thing as perfection. There's only progress and accomplishment. And uh, we seldom get from here to there perfectly. Mm -hmm. But so many leaders are so focused on trying to be perfect that it actually gets in the way of their humanity. Yeah, no, I agree. I actually don't know where that comes from. You know, I think, I think about a lot of, you know, positions that I've had, people that I've, you know, answered up to, people that I've managed and led. And you know, I don't know where that strive for perfection comes from. What I do know is it can be a major obstacle and a major hurdle that can prevent us from growing individually, growing as a company, growing as a sales team, and growing culturally within the business. So to me, it's so important to understand that perfection, I mean, if I'm baking a cake for my daughter's birthday, I mean, I want it to be good. I'd like it to be perfect, but I don't expect it to be perfection. But that doesn't mean the cake was a failure if it wasn't perfect. Why wasn't it perfect? What have you learned? So if you're not present in those moments, how in the heck can you know? I mean, you have to know what didn't work, what did work. And then next time you make a cake or put together a a business strategy, a marketing go-to-market strategy, you know, you make some tweaks and adjustments and everybody learns and everybody rallies around the next movement, if you will. Yeah, it's it's funny you should mention cakes because when I think of the cake that is most memorable <laughs> yeah. was the birthday cake I made once for my wife that was kind of leaning sideways and right. not exactly put together. And, and we laughed about it, but that was memorable because it was like it was good enough. And you know yeah. what? It tasted great. Well, so it tasted great and you're still talking about it. So that that's a that's a big win in my book. So yeah, anyway. Yeah. Do you remember if you you know, you say you don't really remember where the, the quote, but do you remember a point in time when you realized for yourself mm-hmm. that trying to be perfect as a leader just wasn't attainable? Perfection is not attainable. Right. Yeah, you'll you'll kinda you know, there's a thousand quotes out there that kind of say something similar, and I think we've all heard versions of them, you know. 
from as simple down to nothing changes if nothing changes, et cetera. So I think, you know, I'll put it, I'll put it to you this way. And I, and I, you know, I, I have three children. I've like any parent out there, I've either been involved or coached things that they've done because, you know, it's important to, to enjoying their, their childhood, their upbringing and being part of things. And so, you know, I'll give you a business example and the example that I'm kind of going towards here is that sometimes, you know, we get so focused on what success looks like. It's important to have a definition of success. Don't get me wrong on that. You can't be successful if you don't know what it looks like, smells like, you know, tastes like, etc. But to be obsessed with it and think you have to get it on the first try, the second try, or the third try is just not realistic. If it happens, Frankly, you got lucky, in in my opinion. You know, you you know, luck is a is is the is the coming together of preparation and a lot of other things. So it's not a negative that you got lucky, but the reality is is perfection. To what you said is you never reach it. It shouldn't. It should be something you never reach because that definition of perfection should change with every step in progress you make. So if you look at it that way, yes, it's impossible to be perfect. My, my example would be that when I, if I go back to coaching a youth soccer team, you know, you start off the season with this idea of what you want to accomplish at the end of the season. And sometimes you get blinded by that and you miss these little victories of self-improvement with your teammates, with your coworkers along the way. And then as a, you know, so I think it's important to, to understand that there's little moments to build upon. And again, this is basic, but I also find in in marketing, sales and business that a lot of times the basics are overlooked. The difference between mediocrity and success are the companies or the people that understand these might be 101 skills, basics, but if we're not doing these, if we're not in the moment, if we're not there every day, we can't be perfect because you can't be on that path if you're not doing the core things that you need to do for yourself, for the business, et cetera. Well, yeah, we miss, you know, and you've mentioned the word progress many times. And I I just want to point out that uh, research shows that progress is the most motivational thing in, in human existence. I mean, we want to make progress. Goal achievement and success, when you define it as an endpoint, is very fleeting. It, it lasts for a few seconds or a few minutes or a few days, and it's gone, mm-hmm. and you're looking for the next thing. Right. But progress is something that, as leaders, is something that, and, and I, I love you talk about being present. We miss it when we're not present. Mm-hmm. Where we miss, you know, you talk about having three children. I mean, when we're younger and you're, you've got all this stuff going on and, you know, you're trying to build a business or you're trying to, you know, fulfill your responsibilities at work and make money for the family and these children are young. And if we're not present, you know, I can remember coming into the house and not, not being present and not being there when, when my sons would walk up to me and say, Hey, dad, how you doing? Like, I, I've got, I've got to take care of something. And I would just kind of dismiss them, mm-hmm. not present. Yeah. And we're not, we're missing these little opportunities, both in being present in the moment with our relationships, but also missing the opportunities when progress is made. And in that progress, being able to celebrate and recognize it for those people that we're leading. Yeah. You know, you you asked me about a business example or something, and, and what you just said there made me think of something. And I would say to anybody who's leading a sales team or a marketing team or any team, we all want to win, you know, in some definition, whether we call it winning, whether we call it success, we all want to accomplish and make progress, as you say. And so if you put yourself in a sales leadership position, you want to hit a number, you want to deliver to the powers that be, you want to, you want to win awards, you want accolades. That's just kind of part of the DNA in that, in that universe. 
And so to do that, you need to have people who really achieve on the team. And I find, and this is about being present. This is something I actually suffered with when uh, back when I was running a sales team in the alternative industry, which is like the, the Village Voice, the Detroit Metro Times, that Thursday publication that used to come out to tell you where the art, art shows were, the restaurants, et cetera. But you, to hit a number, it's like you've got these people who are really performing and they're great. And so we find ourselves gravitating to them and really kind of giving them a lot of attention. But in the moment for me is understanding that that whole other team that you're trying to develop, they're the ones that those are those moments that you miss. What was the little development or what was the little piece of progress that that wasn't enough to like impact a sales number, but it was significant in their development for, for not only them, but the entire team. And so I found myself sometimes not paying enough attention to the components of the team that really needed the attention, that needed the pats on the back and the they were in the growing stage of their career. And so I think for me, being in the moment and what I learned in leading a sales team in that moment for me was that if you don't give, and it's hard, but and I know it sounds basic, but if you don't really understand that you're being watched as a leader all the time, and and fairness and equity and the way you handle one person's conflict to another's, those things are very important. And if you're always striving for perfection, you'll miss those moments to really help build somebody and gain more trust and become more of a trusted leader, in my opinion. Yeah, because the downside of trying to be perfect is when you're not, is you start to get focused internally on judging yourself for not being perfect instead of focusing on the things that you should be focused on, like progress as we talked about. But the other part, as you talk about, is the process, Mm -hmm. not the result. We keep an eye on the result, but each and every day, the process. And look, I had, I can remember years ago when I was uh, part of a systems integration IT company, and I had a woman who got promoted into account management and she was, her numbers were, she was struggling. Mm -hmm. She was at about 50% or 35% of her number for the year. We're coming into the last few months of the year. You know, the president of the company is saying, you know, we need to get rid of her. She's not. And I said, hold on a second. You've got to look at her pipeline. Her pipeline was huge. Mm -hmm. So I decided uh, this was about September or October towards the end of the year. And I said, let's go meet some of your customers. Her customers loved her. I mean, she was doing everything right. It just wasn't getting across the finish line. And it was unfortunately one of these multiple situations where every client, every customer, every situation she was in had a barrier. Mm-hmm. You know, they were waiting for budget to be approved the 1st of October. They uh, were waiting for another part of a project to be done before they made uh, purchases of services and equipment. All of these things were happening. But her, her pipeline, according to the statistical numbers, was like three or four or five times bigger than it needed to be. And I, I kept, I kept kind of protecting her. And I said to the president, you just wait, you just wait, this is going to happen. And Eric, I'm sure you've seen it in your, in your October, November, December came uh-huh. she was... and it just exploded. Yeah, She had so many orders that, that by the end of the year, she was 108% of her, of her quota yeah, that's and, awesome. uh, and did it in like two months. Oh. <laughs> you know? So what's interesting about that, Gary, is Here's here's what I find fascinating, actually, more than interesting, fascinating about it is if if you wouldn't have fought for her, she could have been let go. 
And yep. so potentially. And so my question that I, I, cause I've been in that situation, the question I would ask somebody, and again, I'm not saying to the person who doesn't show up to the person who's not doing a job, like we know those things. Okay. But, if, but if we're talking about performance based on a number, the simple question I would, I've asked somebody in that situation is you're making a decision based on the fact that she's 20% shy of her monthly number of a hundred thousand. How would you feel about her if her monthly goal was only 60,000? You'd say she's crushing it. So nothing's changed in her behavior, but you're willing to make a judgment on her based on a number that we put up on a budget. So not saying the budget number is not right, but let's look at that a little bit deeper because there's so much more if we want to build this company to, to then just hitting a number. Cause I'll find, I'll find you hundreds of people who hit their number that we all want out of the company, you know, yes. for, for various reasons. So I think it's really important as a leader to understand you know, are we, are we measuring the person against the number? Cause that's, that's, re- that's all relative and they can look like a superstar. If we just move the number down a little bit, we really got to find out what they're doing to your point, their funnel, all that kind of stuff. And I think that, that, that rests on leadership because it's easy to fire somebody. The yeah. hard part is to bring somebody along and, and see them develop and help them develop. Cause that's really your job. As you say, uh, it's a position, right? I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a position. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Yeah. Right. So I can, I worked with a company years ago and they had a sales team of like, it was a smaller company of like four or five people. And there was this one guy that would become close to his number. And the president of the company kept saying, but if he, if he just did a little bit extra, he could be like at 120%. And I'm like, uh huh. Yep. Is he paying for himself? That's the first question. Right. Is the salesperson covering the cost of him? some overhead for the company and adding to the bottom line. Maybe it's only 1%. I get that. But are they adding to the bottom line? How long have they been in the position? Are they showing progress and understand the human being and what they're going through? And interestingly enough, over, over the, the last five or six or seven years, since I worked with them, he has consistently increased his output every year because of his relationships. Mm-hmm. And some, some salespeople, they don't like this. He's very comfortable he works 30 hours a week. He plays yeah. golf a couple of times a week and it, it really angers the president sometime. Like, but wait a minute. Uh, why? He's profitable. And right. now he's doing twice what he was doing five or six years ago and crushing it. Yeah. But he's learned a lot and he's happy. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Nothing. That gets into the whole big culture shift that we're under right now. You know, in, in, you know, not to, not to, just when you say that to me, my daughter, who is 20, 23 years old. She uh, works for one of the, the big four accounting firms and she's working like 60 hours, 80 hours a week right now. And, and she, she told me the other day, she's like, you know, it's funny. She's like, I'm glad I have a job. I'm working a lot, et cetera. Long story short, she said in Europe right now, there, there's a movement and it, it, to turn the work week into 32 hour work week because they're realizing with the new people entering the workforce that they're very productive. They're much, they're very efficient with all the tools at their disposal and they're much happier and better performance at work when they have some more quality time in their life. Sounds, sounds easy, but here, you know, we're trying to push it the other way. And if so, somebody's golfing and saying, holy smokes, he's 20% over his budget. But if he wasn't golfing, he could be 30% over his budget. I mean, let people live a little bit as, as long as they're doing what they need to do in delivering. I'm not saying, you know, we're not saying, you know, he's not lying. He's not saying I got a sales call at 12 noon and he's out golfing. There's a difference. He's just, he's put in a lot of work. He's probably working late at night, putting proposals together, you know, give him credit for that. But I think we just got to be a little bit more open to being human 
these days and an understanding that people are finding ways to get the job done because quality of life is important to them. Well, and and that's why with some of the things that I've talked about with millennials and all these negative judgments about millennials, I only want to work 40 to 45 hours a week. Right. I want to, I want to, I want to work on something that's important, that means something it's has meaning and value. Right. I'm like, tell me what's wrong with that. <laughs> you know? yeah. And by the way, research says that there's the law of diminishing returns for people that work over 50 hours. Yeah, and after it. 60 hours a week, they basically are not adding anything to the, to the top or the bottom line. Yeah. Now there are exceptions to that. Sure. Okay. And, and people will, like you were saying, comparing to a goal, we sometimes compare to other people and we say, why can't that? That's like, if you're my brother and says, Gary, why can't you be more like Eric? Yeah. Well, that's right. a great thing for parents to say. We, right. we say that's not the right thing to do as a parent. Well, why, what makes it right as a, as a leader? Yeah. It's not right. So, yeah, why, why can't every quarterback be like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, right? I mean, there's just, you have your universe of your skill sets and you got to find a way to make the most of those. So, Yeah, absolutely. And our job as leaders is to help make the most of those skills and those talents with each person that we come in contact with. And uh, my first book, you know, I like to talk about sales leadership, mm-hmm. learning to herd cats. Yeah. Every cat's different. They move different. They have different attitudes. They have good attitudes and bad attitudes. Our job, as you've experienced as a sales leader, is about hurting those cats, managing those cats. And I think that sales leaders, successful sales leaders, are why a lot of successful CEOs came from sales, mm-hmm. is because their leadership style has to adjust to each individual to bring out the best in those people. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. I uh, I watch... Uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to tie anything to a military thing, but I'm I'm a big fan of this Band of Brothers show that was on HBO. It was a Spielberg and Hanks thing. Yeah, awesome. It's, yeah, it's not. I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's a, you know, it, it's a pretty graphic and very true to to what was going on. But but I I think uh, I and I'm from I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He was from that area. So he used to speak at schools and so forth. And I got to see him speak at a, at a high school once there. But my, my point to all this is that even though that's a character, it was based on on real events. But I mean, leadership is also about putting yourself in, in, in the dangerous position before you put others there to to walk that that walk to do not ask others to do what you wouldn't do yourself. And again, those sound cliche, but but the reality is, is that, you know, there's something to be said about understanding what everybody goes through at every level to get the respect. And where I'm going with this is it's very important that your team has your back and your team won't have your back ever if you don't earn that respect in little ways. And that's going back to those observations of the little wins and being present You've got everybody's going to know that you know how many kids they have and that you know that their kid was, you know, the spelling bee champion. I mean, you've got to get embedded. You got to stop focusing on the perfection of driving a number and realize that your role and relationship with your team is going to pay dividends for you more than 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 any anything else you can do. Kind of went off on a tangent there, but you made me think of that for some reason. It might be the no, American flag hanging behind you there. So it, it, it might be in my military <laughs> background. With uh, I like to say that my four brothers, my father, my son, and I have served for 108 years of military service. That's a lot of years. And my mother, who is now 90, 92, she'll be 93 in November, was born on Veterans Day. Wow. Okay. So that's uh, that's, that's, that's yeah. it's, 
quite a legacy for our family, but you, you know, the military teaches you a lot about, I've got your back. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this in companies. How do we create a culture? And you mentioned, have mentioned culture. We've talked about culture. How do you create a culture of, of IGYB? And I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring two thoughts together because you mentioned football, right? Okay. So here's, here's the thought that I like to use all the time. And uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when somebody fumbles the football in the football field, everybody dives for it. Yeah. Why do they die for it? There's two reasons. Okay. They've been trained to die for it, okay? And they want to win because they know that possession of the ball is a direct correlation to winning. Mm-hmm. Okay, You can't score if you don't have the ball. So they've got these two things. First, they're trained. From the time they're five, six, seven years old, the coach drops the ball, they dive they on it. Right. All right. So they're trained and they want to achieve the goal together. Have you ever noticed... The third time in the day, a running back fumbles the ball. It's the third time. Fumble, fumble, fumble. Third uh-huh. time. Everybody stands there and goes, I'm not picking that up. Are you kidding? That's the third time today. Right. I can't believe you keep <laughs> dropping the ball. You're killing us here. Right. No, they don't. They die for the ball. Why? Right. Because they've, they've been trained and they want to, they want to win the game. Right. But yeah, we allow this behavior in business all the time. Eric, are you kidding me? That's the third time you screwed up that report. What is wrong with you? Right. No, I'm not helping you. I'm not trying to figure it out for you. I'm not going to get better systems and processes. You just need to figure it out on your own. Obviously, you're just an incompetent loser. Right? <laughs> right? Hey, that happened. I'm sure that statement happens a lot. But yeah, I get. I, I think you're right I, on with that. I think it does. Instead of looking at it going, you know, my favorite example of this was Tiki Barber being a, a Giants fan. Sure. Tiki Barber actually was one of the worst fumblers in the league for yes. years until uh, an assistant coach worked with him and found out he was carrying the ball in his armpit three inches too low. Three inches. They raised it up. They got it up into the armpit. And guess what? He became one of the best running backs and didn't fumble anymore. Yeah. It was, and, and he couldn't figure it out, but he needed help from a coach. And this is often true in leadership as, you know, I want to ask you, Eric, what coaches and mentors have you had that have helped you with your leadership? Cause I certainly had a lot. And without those coaches or mentors, we wouldn't be where we are today. Yeah. Well, so I, I go right back to my college days when I was in, uh, I was doing, uh, Eastern Michigan, give a shout out to the Hurons at the time, now the Eagles, but there was a professor the name, uh, Dr. Marvin Sims. And I, and I, and sadly, I think he's, he's passed since then. He wasn't, he was a young man. Um, but he really challenged me. That's really where I started to rethink things. He really challenged me. He always asked me why. And I think most great college professors do this. Why are you thinking that? And, you know, not trying to give you answers, but trying to get you to formulate your own answers, really empower you to make some decisions. So from a social and just who Eric Reed is, that was somebody who just always got me to question things, not say it's right or wrong, but, you know, chew on it a little bit, put your own thought into it. Does it make, you know, just, just to think and to rethink and to make intelligent decisions and, and to hopefully positively influence people as you move forward. The other example is there was a, a gentleman named Pete Salpetra back when I was in the uh, transportation brokering days. I mean, that was like two phones and, you know, some guys were smoking <laughs> like in the office, their ashtray was overpiling. It was like hustling freight. You know, I got freight on a dock. I got to get it picked up. But there was a gentleman and I, and I was fresh out of college, man. I thought these guys were ruthless and mean and not good bosses and they are picking on me and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, you know, a few years later, I was like, uh-huh, now I get it. Okay, so, you know, I got to give a shout out to Pete, if he were to hear this, to say that, you know, as much as I may have seemed like I didn't like the way he was treating me, 
I understand now what he was trying to do. And then I think the one that really has impacted me. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what was he trying to do? Tell well, me a little bit of what, what was he trying to do with you? Well, I think his, so picture this, okay? I'm glad you stopped me to dig in deep on this because this was a job, this was uh, transportation brokerage. Again, you sit in a room. This was a job you would get right out of college. It's a company car. It's like $28,000, which was gold in 1992 or whatever. You know, single guy, company car, that kind of, you know, the money seemed good at the time. So he had these young people right out of college. That's was, you know, that's who they hired. And so I think what he was trying to get me to understand is that there's, you know, there, there, there's freight sitting on a dock. We can't leave until we move that freight. So if we're not really, if we're not understanding what we're doing as a team and trying to accomplish a team goal, then your inactivity or your lack of attention is hurting everybody else on this team. Mm. And so, and I'm not saying I wasn't putting attention out. It was, you know, there was other, you know, he was like this to everybody, but it really made me understand that as much as I think Eric Reed is important, he's just not that important compared to what the team goal is there. And so as and a, he was also connecting your activity with the goals and achievements of the team and the client, the customer and everybody else. Correct. So he was connecting all the dots for you, which we don't do when we're young. Yeah. So, you know, so as a, so now when I, when I look back on that stuff as a leader, um, and when I talk to companies who are, who are working with and, and their leadership teams, again, these are basic things, but sometimes we move so quick. Sometimes we get so laser focused on the end game that we miss all these things that have to happen. And so, you know, when I, look back on that, the lessons that I take is everything that you said, but but equally as important is why is that significant? Why is that stuff important to a team? You And, and the answer is this, buy-in. You can't have, you need to have buy-in, but you can't have buy-in if you can't teach an example, but there has to be something tangible that you experience to say, okay, I get it. And even though I say I got it you know, after I left there, there were many things I got while I was there. Sure. But yet, but that's to me understanding that you can't just say something. I I, I talked to Chris Spielman, who was a, a hero of mine. He was on our podcast, and we talked to him about just personal brand, what makes a person, and so forth. He mentioned he had a defensive coordinator who was so good at, at it, yes, it was one thing to watch the game film on the punt coverage. This is a special team. I think it was Frank Gans or Hank Gans, one of the Gans brothers, and. He said it was one thing to watch the game film, but then the real learning came with the physical experience of realizing it on the field exactly what you have to do. And so I think the long way to get to that, what I took away was in order to really learn what Pete was trying to do was to say, this is why it has to happen. Let you kind of flutter a little bit in there and get you to the point where you realize from action, now you see why it had to happen that way. Yeah, and you've just described the uh, perfect example of adult learning. You go out and you experience something. You mm-hmm. become aware of what happened and what the consequences are. How good how good a job did I do or not do? And and I learn with iteration. Right. And I don't care if it's sales or leadership or what, but you've got to you've got to give it a shot. You got to give it a try. And that's what makes leadership development so challenging. And I tell people, uh, you want to become a leader. You want to become that's great uh, with coaching and training and development. It takes five to 10 years to become mediocre because it's, it's so complicated with each individual that you would come in contact with. And, and then it's all the things, the basic things that you talk about. And that's what we do with the seven steps of intentional leadership. We teach the basics. Yeah. 
people need to know what the basics are, whether it's like talking about Tiki Barber by carrying the football. Where do I place the football? Yeah, you can be the best athlete in the world, but if you drop it every time, you're not helping the team. Yeah, come on. Does three inches make a difference in where I carry the football? Well, it absolutely well, does. Apparently it does yeah, at that level. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, did he ever fumble again? Yeah, he did. But it was like every 250th carry. So you, it's not perfect, but it's way, way better. And that's life. That's just what life is. Mm-hmm. And he embraced it. I would say that the important thing too, the leader really can't control that, but he, for whatever the atmosphere, you know, you do want to have good people, Tiki embraced the the challenge and the opportunity for self-improvement. And that's an important skill, whether you're a leader or not. Well, you know, one of the things I'm doing on LinkedIn right now is I talk about, you know, being being a bad boss and I'm committed to getting rid of bad bosses by making them good and then great. Yeah. But uh, the first step and a lot of the things that we've talked about today is about awareness. The first step is, yes, my name is Gary. I'm a bad boss. You know, and being able to say that, or I have bad boss behaviors. You yeah. know, I really, there are things that I do. There are things that I do that are just not good behaviors and we need to fix that. So it's complicated. It's very, very complicated. And that's what I love about leadership and leadership development and the coaching and the things that we get to do. So yeah, I want to, I want to wrap today up, Eric, with a question that I ask all of my guests. Okay. And the question is, Eric, if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to Eric 25 years ago or whatever, 1992, you're coming out of college and you're going to work as a transportation nutcase or whatever that was that you were doing in logistics. Uh, what would you write to yourself? What would you tell Eric? You know, I, as I'm answering this, I, I think of, I watched Shawshank Redemption with my daughter. And one of my favorite scenes is where they ask Morgan Freeman that. Uh, when he's up for parole of what he would, well, I don't know if they asked him it, but he went to it. And so, you know, he talked about obviously the things that you missed. The whole point of this question is what you missed then, what you know now. And, and, and you know, if you could, you know, I, I would tell myself that it, and it kind of goes to what we talked about, that path to leadership and maybe some challenges you have to be a leader. But I would tell myself that, you know, Moving up the corporate ladder, moving up the company ladder, improving your life doesn't mean you have to follow a progression from sales rep to sales manager to to you know to sales director to CEO. The the path you're not married to any path. You need to find what your skills are, find what makes you happy. Because we think at that time, because I would say from Eric Reed, self reflection. What I thought made Eric Reed happy when he was 22 to 35 was title and money. And I bet you 80% of the people would agree with that if they're being honest. But what you find along the way on that title to money and title and money pursuit is that you can not be present every day and you can, you can miss things with your wife. You can miss things with your husband. You can miss things with your children. Um, you can get lost in the pursuit of something that is wrong. You have the wrong definition of that's going to be it. You have a definite, you think that's going to bring you happiness, but I would, so in that letter that I would write back, I would say, you know, follow your passions, follow your ambitions, follow what you're hungry for, but realize that you're not a one man team. This is a relay race. There's a group of people and every decision you make can't just be right for you. If you're a leader, it has to be right for your team. If you're have a family responsibilities. It has to be right for your family and for other people who count on you. And the lessons that you can teach people are more about your example 
than about a whiteboard and a a, a dry erase marker. You know, I, I think, and I might even throw in a quote because I know I'm a, a sports fan, so I'm going to humor myself throwing this back to to a younger version of me and say, remember, you know, Vince Lombardi said coaches who can, you know, draw X's and O's on the board are a dime a dozen, but people who can get into the head and get people to really internally get motivated and want to compete, those are the people that you need to, those are the special people. And so the final sentence in that letter would be, don't just follow the path of what you think success looks like. Really understand that there's a whole mental and uh, psychological and a well-being side to it and bring everybody along with you. Going back to the Band of Brothers, everybody progresses to the same common goal. No matter what their title is, they're all moving collectively together. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So that would be a very hard to read letter, Gary. I get that. It probably had a lot of punctuation errors and, and stuff in there, but hopefully it flowed for you a little bit. Yeah, but it, it's a letter that comes from the heart, Eric, yeah. and that's that's what matters. And, you know, you when you talk about following your path, I had a very interesting conversation with my dad about two years before he passed away. My dad always said to me with the work that I do and the coaching and leadership, Mm -hmm. he was a military officer and then worked at uh, Yale University in the physics department. He was an engineer. And he says, I don't understand what you do. I just, I just don't understand what it is you do. And, you know, no matter how many times we'd have talks and I'd explain it and say, helping people be better leaders, he just don't understand. And then one day I said to him, you know, I was talking about this and he said, Gary, and I, I, I said, yeah, dad. I said, you know, because we're talking about this whole thing about path. And I said, yeah, I, you know, I followed a different path. And he said, no, you did not follow a different path. He said, you created your own path. That's powerful. I mean, that's, that's. And I just looked at him and I went, dad, you now understand what I do. Yeah. And uh, it brought tears to my eyes. I mean, it was that my dad finally understood what we get to do, Eric, in helping others, because, you know, the work that you do in sales and marketing, it's not about sales and marketing. It's about people. Yeah. I'm glad that you said that because I I feel feel that way in 100%. You know, just to paint the picture, I I don't deal with hundreds of clients out there and I don't do podcasts, my podcast. You know, I like talking to you because I just love, you know, I like your books. I love the way that your head works. I love having these academia style conversations just for self-learning absorption for me. But I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't build a business to help everybody and so forth. So just like our own path, just like, you know, helping people, I I really don't spend a lot of time trying to help people who aren't at the point where they realize they need to be helped. I, I don't mean this to sound callous, but I it, it, I'll be friends with you. We'll I'll, we'll continue having lunch and a cup of coffee, and I want to hear about your kids. But if you're not if you're not ready to admit that you've got some things maybe that you need to improve upon, whether it's company or personally, then that's okay. Well, let's just stop the conversation about that because it's really not going to be an impactful conversation until you can come to terms with the fact that, hey, you know, maybe I need to make some changes here. That, I, I, I'm just throwing that in just because when you said that, I thought, you know, th- there is this human side of, of things and you can't be out, if you if you are marching your own path, if you're doing that, you can't be out there trying to convince everybody they need to do something. You know, they've got to be at a point when they're when they have open ears to the process. When When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I will say again, 
uh, I'm, I'm Gary and I have bad boss behaviors until I admit that I'm not <laughs> right. going to change. So right. Eric, I want to, I want to thank Eric Reed, CEO and founder of Reed five group. We'll give you the information in the show notes so that you can contact Eric. And if you have some interest in looking him up and look up his podcast, take five, the rethink marketing podcast. That's also a good thing to, to listen to in the work that Eric does. Eric Reed, I want to thank you for being my guest today. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Gary. I really, really enjoyed speaking with you. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.